eyes and the eyes of our heart to understand and to know and to hear your truth. As we open your word, Lord, would you open us? Would it speak to us? Would our hearts be receptive? Lord, your word says to ask, to seek, and to knock. And specifically, your word says to ask for wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, to ask and to believe. And so we ask for wisdom, God, as we open your word, as we look to it, as we look to passages that have been quoted and misquoted and uh, explained and uh, misrepresented. We want to see the truth of your word. We want to hear your voice with clarity and understand, God. So open the eyes of our heart now as we open your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, some of you probably surprised. Like, I'm, he's up here early. We can, we can mix it up. There's no, this isn't, uh, the order of our service isn't written down in the Bible. So we're going to go into God's word and uh, we'll have some more singing at the end. If, uh, so don't, don't feel disappointed or, or like you're going to miss out. We're going to worship God, but we're going to turn to his word first. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the teachings of Jesus as he's beginning his ministry in Matthew. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he gathers his disciples together, and he lays out a teaching. He's explaining the kingdom, life in the kingdom, the value system of the kingdom, how to be blessed and happy in the kingdom, how to behave, uh, how to, how to uh, orient yourself internally, your, uh, deal with your temptations, to deal with your emotions, to deal with your belief system, and how to deal with one another, how to deal with others in the kingdom. Because when you come into the kingdom of God, you come into community. There's brothers and sisters there. We're the body of Christ. There's many parts in one body, and we need to learn how to uh, interact. You know, if you've been around people, uh, people are complicated. Dealing with people is complicated. It can be frustrating. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 today. If you have your Bible there, I'm sure they'll probably put it up on the screen. Got a thumbs up. Okay, and uh, we're getting into a, a section of Scripture that is probably one of the, the most referenced uh, sections of Scripture in our society um, from believers and unbelievers from followers of Christ, uh, and it's probably, you know, there are passages that believers in Christ communicate to people who don't believe, and then this is probably one that is most communicated the other way from people who aren't believers to Christians, and I think uh, here's how most people read chapter 7, judge not. Period. Just stop. Full stop. Judge not. And uh, I think rightfully there's criticism that comes at believers at the church. Uh, definitely for being judgmental. But then also this is misapplied. Uh, and if it's adopted, it could lead to uh, some ridiculous or dangerous situations. So when people say that, I don't want to impute motives to people, but often what that means is leave me alone or leave other people alone. It means don't have a standard, 
Uh, don't make uh, distinctions between good and bad. Don't make distinctions between right and wrong. And if we applied that in our real life, we would come to some difficult or ridiculous situations. Like, let's say you need to get your car fixed. Does anybody read reviews online? Like we're, I was just traveling, going down the interstate, a lot of, spent a lot of time in the car. We're trying to find a place to stay, a place to eat, a place to visit. And I'm on my phone, and I'm, you, know, you can get on TripAdvisor, and they give you reviews, and they give, it, give you rankings. Or you can go to Airbnb. We found a cool house in San Antonio we, we were able to stay at. Um, but I read those reviews before I made a decision. If I'm going to a restaurant that I've never been to, I read reviews before I go there, and I make a judgment. Um, you could say that I discriminate. And that's another word that we're not supposed to do. But it, let's say you were going to get your car fixed. You need your car worked on. Okay, and let's apply this, judge not. You could just take your car to anybody. You could go to any old person who says they can fix it. You can drive it to some guy's junkyard and park it in his driveway and hand him your keys and tell him to hand over the money that he needs to get the parts and tell him to call you when it's done. You could do that, couldn't you? whether you know him or not, or you could take it to a reputable repair shop. Let's say uh, you're going to do an addition on your home, right? You could just have any, you could put it on Facebook. You could say, I need somebody to fix my house. You'll get 100 people that say they can do it, right? And don't judge. You just, you just pick the first person that says they can do it and have them come over and you just tell them what you want and hand over your keys and you can just you know, go stay in a hotel and come back when they say they're done, give them some money to get started, you could do that, right? You don't want to judge. Let's say I've got young daughters. My daughter Ava's going to be 17 coming up, and uh, there'll become a time in her life, uh, possibly, where she wants to find a spouse, you know? And I'm going to tell her, what I tell her, judge not, don't discriminate. If there's a guy that's interested, and he'll have you, just marry him up. Take the first available guy that's interested. You know, don't judge. I know he's got poor hygiene and he uh, doesn't want to work and he, uh, you know, whatever. You can dream up ridiculous scenarios. We make judgments. We, we discriminate. We have standards that we apply to situations in our life. Say we're voting for a president. Or voting, electing an official. You know, like, well, this guy wants a job, let's give it to him. Right? We have standards that we need to hold people to. And, and it's the same thing. God has a standard. And so when, when we read this and judge not, that's not the full story. These are Jesus' words. but We have to read it carefully in context. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said... Uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when we're applying judge not to a spiritual life, it doesn't mean there's no standard. So that means there's no sin, so we don't have to make any opinion about people's behavior or actions. In fact, in the same chapter, Jesus says you know a tree by its fruit. You look at the results or the actions of people's lives, and that's how you... Make a judgment. That's how you decide. 
Now, what you are not deciding, please hear me, you're not deciding the value of individuals. And I think this is where it comes, and we have to, we have to hear what people are saying, you know, as a church. If people are saying, you know, uh, quoting that to us, what they mean is don't devalue people based on the choices that they make. You know, I think uh, one of the first ideas in Scripture, and I would say that the idea or the teaching that has done the most for the well-being of humanity for improving human people's lives is what we find in Genesis, that people are made in the image of God. When God created man, he made them in the image of God. There is inherent, intrinsic value that exists. And when he says, judge not, and I think a lot of times when people are saying that, we don't make value judgments on people. We don't degrade them or devalue them based on the decisions they make, based on sins that they might have or situations they may find themselves in. It also is don't be hypercritical. What we're going to find out is it means don't be a hypocrite. Don't hold people to a standard that you don't live up to. But it doesn't mean just everything's cool, everything's okay, everything's good, nothing's bad. Nobody really lives like that. And if they do, they find themselves in a miserable situation with a a myriad of problems. Here's what it says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's a little bit different, isn't it? The judgment that you use is going to be used on you. In Luke, he he elaborates. Luke, uh, the Gospels work together. They record Jesus' life. Um, You know, it says in one of them that if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, the whole world couldn't contain the books. And so uh, Luke has a teaching that's very similar. Uh, So it was either... Further recording Jesus' words, either that Matthew didn't write down every single word that Jesus spoke at this teaching, or it was Jesus teaching and elaborating another time. In Luke 6, verses 37, there's an elaboration here, and I think it's helpful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I love that picture. Uh, Given it will be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. I'm picturing, uh, you know, a basket of grain or kernels of wheat. And you know, like, or if you're you're doing, you know, like, let's say you're baking, and there's a difference between, like, uh, when you scoop out flour and when you, like, press it down and kind of tap it down. You get a different measure, don't you? You can get it light and fluffy in a smaller volume, or you can pack it in tight. You can press it down. You can pour it over the top. 
And I believe what Jesus is saying is the way that we treat other people, we need to be gracious and we need to be forgiving and we need to be generous. You know, if we're measuring things out, what we want to give to other people is maybe a smaller amount than we want to take for ourselves. We want people to give us their best. We want people to give us the benefit of the doubt. We want people to see and hear our side of the story. But oftentimes, we jump to conclusions, and we decide motives, and we think we can read people's hearts, and we make judgments about why they did what they did without hearing them out, without understanding the full story. And Jesus wants us, obviously, he says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. He wants us to treat people the way that we want to be treated. And we need to judge ourselves. We need to look internally. We need to be harsh with our own sin, with our own faults, with our own weaknesses and lazinesses. We need to have grace and mercy and forgiveness when we deal with other people. In Romans, uh, in the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul takes time basically to lay out the sins of people. He calls out their idolatry, their sexual immorality, their uh, lawlessness, and he's, he's describing the condition of humanity. But then he begins in chapter 2, and he says, You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You know, often when we're judging someone, we notice what's wrong with them because we live with it right in front of us, under our nose and in our hearts on a daily basis. There's a story uh, in 2 Samuel. If you want to turn there, you can read along with me. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, that illustrates this. And it really goes with the next part of Matthew 7. Matthew 7, he said, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye or the plank that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly the speck out of your brother's eye. I think this is, when, when the world is communicating to the church, judge not, this is what they're addressing. Hypocrisy, where we have we have malice and we have greed and we have immorality in our own lives and we are harshly judging and dealing with and condemning and looking down our nose at other people when we see that in them. Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, you guys know the story of David and Bathsheba? This whole story, this is just a sermon in itself. Uh, at the time when the kings went to war, David stayed home. Uh, it's just that whole, that's the beginning of the story, and that alone uh, will preach. But David is staying home. He sends his men out to war, and he notices Bathsheba. He's on his roof and notices her, looks into her courtyard, notices her bathing, and he lusts after her, and he calls her to himself. Um, and her husband Uriah had gone out with the men to battle. And uh, essentially, you know, David committed adultery with her and organized the, the death of her husband to cover up his own sin uh, when she became pregnant and to keep her as his wife, uh, which was just an abominable thing. 
In verse 12 it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, He gives him a parable. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who'd come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So Nathan comes to David and tells him a story. He tells him the story and David has indignation. He has a righteous anger rise up in him. He's so angry at the behavior of this man. And the law of Moses prescribed in that situation that he would restore what was stolen fourfold. David says that. He'll restore fourfold. But he goes beyond that and he says, this man shall die. So not only does he, he, he judges the situation, right? He judges the situation. He's angry about it. He sees the fault and the evil of this man's behavior. And he wants vengeance. He wants punishment. Beyond even what God would do. What God would call for. In verse 7 it says, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite, taken his wife. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me. He goes on. David saw the wickedness, the greed, the evil of the actions of this, this rich man in the story. And he wanted vengeance. But he was overlooking the sin in his own heart. And I think this illustrates what Jesus was saying. We see the speck in other people's eyes. A wife is more valuable than a lamb. If you didn't know that. Um, David's sin was even greater than that of this fictional man that Nathan told him about. And he saw it and he judged it in other people. And he ignored it and overlooked it in his own life. I think that's precisely what the world doesn't like when they look at a church that does that. Fair enough. You're right. That's right. It doesn't mean we don't have a standard. You know, if you, uh, one of the crazy things about the world today um, is the, the standard of right and wrong has moved. The lines have shifted, right? And you have people who, you know, now that we live in a digital age, there's almost everything you say and do is recorded. There's people, there's comedians, there's politicians who said things 10 years ago that the, the standard has moved today that were acceptable that are now considered worthy to be canceled over. The standard has shifted. 
Now, the thing with God's standard is it never shifts. Now, there may be uh, seasons where certain things are emphasized and certain things are ignored, but we don't look to the culture to define what's right and wrong. We look to a standard that we stand on. And we look at our own hearts. And we deal with our own sin. And we judge our own selves. In fact, uh, it's not that we even should ignore the speck in our brother's eye. We don't ignore the issues that our friends and loved ones are dealing with. I said when you come into the kingdom, when you enter God's family, you enter community. It's actually unloving. There are people in my life where if I ignore the red flags that I see, the warnings, the, the behaviors that I know, there's people that I know in my life that have, they have histories and they have issues and they have battles and they have struggles. And if I overlook some of the specks that I see and I ignore them, I may be allowing a downfall, you know, that, that will be detrimental to them. We need to live in community where we're able, with love, to address the things that we see in our brothers' lives or our sisters' lives as caring for them, shepherding their souls, loving them. In, the, in Matthew it says, you first remove the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not that we let those things stay there. but We deal with the big issues in our own lives so that we can see clearly and help others who are struggling with those same things. You know, one thing that's beautiful uh, about David's story, he wrote Psalm 51, and uh, as a response to that, he was repenting. He was cut to the heart. And he asked God, if you read Psalm 51, it's beautiful. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And this is just exactly an illustration of Matthew 7. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. After you give me a clean heart, you deal with my issues, I want to help other people. So don't hear condemnation from me today, but you're needed in the body of Christ. You're needed. And you're needed to, to deal with your sin, working, walking hand in hand with brothers and sisters so that you can help one another. Now what's interesting here, and it, it further illustrates that he doesn't mean just don't judge ever, like don't make any judgments, don't do any discrimination. And that word is kind of a, it's a bad word. Like there are levels of discrimination that are evil. Discrimination based on race uh, is probably the most obvious one. Or gender or social, socioeconomic status. James deals harshly with that. If you read the book of James, he said he, he comes down hard on people that treat those who come into the assembly, into the church, and they treat rich people, people that look rich and dress nice, different from people who come who are poor. There's discrimination that is wrong. But uh, sometimes I uh, 
make unwise purchases or hasty purchases. My wife will maybe tell you about this. We have some crazy stories about like trying to buy land cruisers in Colorado and drive them home. And I've gotten myself into some bad situations in my younger days. Uh, one of those that's like on the line of good or bad decision, I got my kids a metal detector. I saw it on Facebook. And anyway, we had some fun with it for a little while. But what's cool about this metal detector is you can, you can just have it wide open. You can, you can have the signal wide open, and you swing it over the ground, and any kind of metal that's in the ground, it'll, it'll alert a signal. So if you go to an old homestead, right, an old household, and you swing that, you're going to find all kinds of metal in the ground. But what's going to happen is you're going to be digging up pieces of wire and hinges and junk rusted stuff. You're going to like chunks of metal, just chunks of steel. It has a feature on it, though, that they call a discriminator. And you can set parameters that will only alert you if you run over the type of metal, you, you signal the type of metal that you're looking for. And so you can find, you can set it for silver. You can find silver. You can find gold. You can find just steel. You can set it to find, it has preset uh, defaults where you can find artifacts that those might be like, you know, belt buckles or things like that. Or you could just be looking for uh, a broad category of jewelry or precious metals, and there's a wider range. Or you could be looking for coins. You can set a discriminator so that you're finding what you're looking for. But you have to know what you're looking for before you establish those parameters. And you're discriminating. And if we don't discriminate in some situations, you know, we're just going to be digging up all kinds of, we're just going to be wasting our time. And I think when we get into the next verses in chapter 6, uh, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is an odd verse to follow. Do not judge. It seems that he's calling people pigs and dogs, which, I mean, kind of, kind of is there, isn't it? It follows... Remove the log from your own eye, and you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think when you're offering advice to people, you have to have your discriminator set carefully, right? You ever receive, like, unsolicited, un unwanted, unwarranted advice? You know, like, uh, it's, yeah, it's just an awkward situation sometimes, you know, or an uncomfortable situation. There are people who are not ready to receive your instruction or your discipline or your advice. You know, like in the body of Christ, there are people who are open to correction, open to uh, hearing what you have to say, open to your opinion or open to your advice or open to a word. And there's people who if you give that advice to, they're going to take it in the wrong, they're not in the right spirit. They're going to take it and they're going to be offended, and they're going to trample it, your pearls, and they're going to turn and attack you, right? I think uh, in the church, and this is maybe my opinion, so you can test this, I think the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the, the story of salvation, we should indiscriminately proclaim the gospel. We try to share with people the good news of Jesus. 
who he was, what he did. He lived, he died, he sacrificed, he was sacrificed for their sins. We share the gospel of Jesus indiscriminately. We don't look at someone and say, well, they don't look like they might be a Christian one day. And so we don't tell them about Jesus. We indiscriminately share the gospel. But when it comes time to correction and pointing things out in people's lives and giving advice or discipling, we have to be discriminatory on who we give that advice to. You don't go up to somebody who's not a Christian and you start pointing out every sin in their life. They're not going to receive that. and They're going to look at you like, judge not, you hypocrite. And they're not wrong. Now that doesn't mean when the time comes that you don't share the standard of God's word so that they know what's, what is good and bad, what's right and wrong, what's sin, and what's righteousness. We indiscriminately share God's word. But when it comes time to discipling and correcting and pointing these things out, we discriminate. We don't give it to people who aren't ready to hear it or receive it or open to it. Does that make sense? I believe that's what he's saying here. If you just, if you just go up and start pointing out everything that you see wrong in people's lives, uh, and that's what your radar's on, you're, you're noticing, you're looking for sins and faults and failures and problems, you're going to be a miserable person and you're going to make people miserable and they're going to avoid you. We all know hypercritical people, you know, who are overly critical, nitpicking, fault finding. They look at everything that's wrong. Heard a story once of a young man who was trying to find a, he was trying to find a wife and he had a, he had a mom kind of like that. She was a nitpicker, a fault finder. And she just, she, every girl he brought home, she would find something wrong with. She didn't like the way she dressed. She didn't like the way she acted. She didn't like the way she carried herself. She didn't like the way she walked into a room. She didn't like the way she cooked food or cleaned house. Or she didn't like her opinions or ideas. Every time he brought a, a woman home, she found something wrong with him. Overcritical. So the boy went out and he went around until he found someone who was exactly in every way like his mom. To a D, he brought her home. His mom loved her. His dad couldn't stand her, though. <laughs> when we deal with other people, we want to be Luke, like Luke 6, 37. We want to be generous and gracious, abundant in, in mercy, in love, in generosity. That's how we treat people. We don't have to fault find. And you definitely don't have to do that, go out to the world and just point out everything wrong with them. But when we get off of verse 5, the rest of Matthew 7, he says there's discernment. There's judgment. You don't give to the dogs what is holy. And in this culture, dogs weren't like, you know, a member of the family. Uh, Brandy and I lived in India for a while. It was kind of, I kind of get the picture from there. There were roving bands of feral dogs running the streets, eating the trash, you know, just cleaning up whatever's left around. Like they're sketchy looking, they're dangerous looking, they're, you know, you don't really want to trust them. I mean, we saw some weird, gross stuff, like just, when they talk about dogs, they're not talking like the family pet, you know. And don't throw your pearls to pigs. 
The pigs were unclean to the, to the Jews. So you're making a judgment. You're making a discernment, right? In verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. You have a narrow gate and you have a wide gate. You make a judgment which way you're going to go. In verse 15, he talks about false prophets. And then you have true prophets. You make a judgment. You discern what's false and what's true. He talks about believers who are, uh, have good fruit and those who bear bad fruit. You make a discernment. You make a judgment. What is good and what is bad. In verse 21, he has two types of believers. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? There's two types of believers. Those the, there are those who rely on their uh, religious um, resume, their spiritual accomplishments that call him Lord, but don't have a relationship that don't know him and walk intimately with him. And there are those who do his will, who walk in intimacy with him. There's true believers and there's false believers. And he says, you make a judgment. So again, it's not just, you don't judge. You don't have any standard. You have discernment. You discriminate. You evaluate. But we don't make value decisions on the quality or the value of a soul of a person. Uh, in, uh, in Matthew 7, 7, in this context, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will be fine. You will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In verse 12 it says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We have the golden rule. Whatever it is that you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. How you wish people would treat you. How you wish people would judge you. How you wish people would evaluate you. How you wish people would give you the benefit of the doubt or be generous to you. Do that to them. I think if Christians walked around doing that part, we'd hear a lot less of the first part. If you would treat people the way that you want to be treated, not just on the negative, like don't do things that you don't want people to do to you. You don't want people to steal from you so you don't steal to them. But in the positive, what you want people to do for you, do that for other people. You want people to give you the benefit of the doubt. You want people to trust you. You want people to be patient with you. You want people to be generous to you. Do that first. Do that first. You know, in Matthew 6, 5, Matthew 6, we were kind of dealing with inner, like, inner stuff, personal stuff. And this is more, I would say, intrapersonal. This is how you behave in the body of Christ. This is how you treat people. This is how you act. 
You know, on the ask, seek, and knock, Jesus had taught him to pray the Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this, and don't let your words, don't babble on, don't let your words be many, but go to your prayer closet and pray. Pray this. He asked us to pray for our daily needs. And now he says, ask, and it means it's a command. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Continue on. It's not that we just babble on and repeat the same phrase, but there's a practice of intimacy of going to God. Uh, last week, my family and I went to, uh, went to Texas. We went to Big Bend National Park, which is really beautiful. You have like uh, a river area, you know, like with the green around the river, and there were canyons, and there's water. And then you had the Chihuahua Desert around you, and then you had the Chizos Mountains there where you could go up two or 3,000 feet in elevation, and, and you know, you have like distinct regions. It was, it was very beautiful. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this, this story may just be, be silly, but um, we went and we stayed in a group campsite. We're right on the Rio Grande or the Rio Grande, uh, I don't know how you say it, you know, I think in Texas you say it one way, and other people actually say it another, um, we were right on the river on the border with Mexico, and the first night we were there, we were in this group campsite, and uh, there were a bunch of, you know, there were other people, there were other groups there that were camping, and the second night, you know, we went, the second day we went hiking, and we come back, and everybody had cleared out, and what's, what's awesome about this place is it's one of the darkest skies has the least light pollution of like almost anywhere in the United States. Uh, and the stars are brilliant, you know. They were amazing. And um, so we're there in this one of the darkest places. You know, we, were, we drove 13 hours to Houston, and then we went nine hours west and south to get to Big Bend. We're like far away from people, far away from places. And we're right on the border. You could wade. Like you didn't have to swim. It wasn't a raging river. You could go right across to Mexico. And we're alone in this campsite. It was a little bit unnerving. Where we thought we were alone, uh, a car comes up, and there was a man, and uh, he stopped, and he went in the bathroom, and he was kind of acting suspiciously, and my kids were getting nervous, and I went and talked to him, and, you know, he had some odd behaviors that kind of put my family on edge. And he would leave and come back, and he said, you know, he was traveling through California, like, his story was a little bit, you know, like, he was leaving or he was staying. He was trying to find a place to stay. He had come in and didn't pay the entry fees, so he was, like, trying to fly under the radar. And my kids were just a little bit unnerved. And I think part of it was just being alone, being far away from people. You had no cell service, like, no, no reception, nothing. And, uh, you know, we were just trying to talk him through it. And I don't know why we didn't think of it at first, but we just, we sat down and we prayed. And, and putting it in light of this, we prayed and we didn't want to make any judgment on his motives. We didn't know this guy. We didn't want to make any judgment on his soul. We prayed for his well-being and his care. We had given him food and, you know, he was asking some questions. We were kind and generous to him. He tried to repay us by giving my kids a five-hour energy drink. And like, this guy doesn't know much about kids. No, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I mean, this was the large man. He said he was reporting to military duty. But my, he just, there was just something that set my daughters especially on edge. And we prayed. And one of the things we asked is we said, uh, we asked God to 
you know, to protect us. We ask, we just turn to the Lord. We ask for his well-being and his blessing and safe travels. And, and we ask God to encamp around us. We ask for angels to surround our camp. And, uh, and in the middle of the night, like, I tried to stay awake and, you know, like, I don't have, I had, like, a hatchet. You know, I, like, I was trying to, like, calm my kids. But, if you know, like, I can't run, I can't, like, chase people down. I got two bad knees and a bad hamstring. Like, I can't run people down, but I could probably run people off, you know. I was trying to tell this to my kids, but if he had a gun or something, he could just shoot. Like, we just got thin walls of a tent, you know. And the girls were in their own tent. It was right there. But in the middle of the night, like, Ava woke. She was in the other tent. She woke me up. Or she woke Brandy up. I'm hard to wake up. And she heard something outside. And it was like she heard loud breathing and footsteps. And it sounded like it was right outside the tent. And she kept hearing it. Then Brandy heard it. And so, like, I'm deep in sleep. I didn't want to get up. And it's hard to get up anyway when you got, like, my knees were sore. And, and then you stumble over people in the tent. I get out. And I go outside, you know. And right behind our tent, I thought it was a horse. Like, oh, you did hear something. There was a cow that was, like, right behind their tent. And I guess cows crossed the river from Mexico. And they, you know, all the people were gone. So they were eating the the. So it was a comical situation. Well, we had prayed literally like surround our camp with with angels. And I got up and I was watching this cow and I look over and there's like a a half circle around our campsite of these black figures. And it was like, it looked like people were like, you know, sitting down, holding their, like like big people were sitting in a half circle, like guarding our tent. Well, it was about a dozen more more cows. (laughs) But like... You know, I don't know. They took comfort in my kids. And who knows if, like, God orchestrated those cows to sit in a half circle or a, a visual representation that he was protecting us. Like, I was kind of annoyed that I had to get out, but it was a comical story. That was a long story to say. Ask God. Seek him. Knock. Go to him. Pray. Um, and that's just something that happened a few days ago, so I thought of it. But there are many situations where we had needs and we went to God and there were answers that were unlooked for. And you can have relationship. Bring him into your everyday life. And I pray that James tells us to ask for wisdom. So when you're trying to deal with people, you're not trying to judge them, to decide their motives, the condition of their heart, but you're looking at the fruit, you need wisdom. Ask for grace and mercy. If you're having a hard heart towards people, ask him for those things. Ask him for insight. Ask him for words. Ask him for decisive action to take. Walk in relationship with him. You know, Jesus said there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, on that day. There will be many who tell me all the things they did, supernatural things. They prophesied, cast out demons, did many works. And he'll say, I never knew you. I didn't have intimacy with you. I didn't have a relationship with you. And this shows us Jesus' priority. He's more concerned that we walk in relationship with him and right relationship with other people than that we do these religious actions that might impress, you know, people in the church. So I was, I was tasked with dealing with Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 to 23. Um, we're going to pick up with 24. Because there's also another distinction, a a wise builder and a foolish builder, right? 
a firm foundation and a shaky foundation. Jesus wants us to look and choose the narrow gate. He wants us to discern, to judge who we listen to. He said there'll be many false prophets. We don't want to listen to people whose teaching and whose actions, whose behaviors don't line up with the word of God. But we also have to understand they're humans, they're people. We don't put, a, put our teachers and, and uh, you know, you can have religious celebrities, I guess. We don't put them on a pedestal. We don't elevate them to like a, the status of a demigod where they're a little bit more than human but less than Jesus. We understand they're flawed. But we listen to the, those who teach in ways that line up with God's word. We are to discern. We are to discriminate. But when we deal with people, we deal graciously, lovingly, forgiving, and patiently. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm, I'm just going to wrap it up there. Uh, I would like to pray. The good news of the kingdom that Jesus preached was that God had sent his only son into the world. He lived a perfect life. He showed us. He fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it. He showed us how to live. But more than that, he died as a perfect sacrifice to forgive our sins, to wash us clean, and to buy us, to, to adopt us into his family. And we celebrate that by taking communion, the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to do that. I didn't give you guys enough warning. Uh, we're going to do that now together. Jesus told us to do that in remembrance of him. And so when we need power, when it's hard not to judge people, not to look down on them, not to be frustrated with them, we just look at how Jesus dealt with us, how the Father dealt with us. He held nothing back. He gave his prized possession to win us into his family. And we're filled with his love to care for other people. So let's pray. God. As we look at these passages, I pray that uh, we treated them well, we, we unpacked them and looked at them, that the things that I said that were true and of you, that people would remember, that the things I said that weren't true, that I would be, would be revealed to me and would be forgotten by those who are here. We just want truth to prevail. We want to line up our lives to your standard, to your righteousness, not our own opinions of what's good and bad or right and wrong, not the shifting uh, opinions of our culture uh, or political party or whatever that determines what's good and bad and declares it, God, we look to your word to define us. We look to your, our relationship with you to be the defining feature of our lives. And we look to your word as we make, uh, as we value people, we see them as created in your image with value given to them by their creator. Not by what they have or what they do or what they don't.
wisdom correct and train of worship here. 